Well, happy Easter and welcome to Abundant Life Church. We are so thrilled that you are here. My name is Jeremy, I'm the lead pastor here. And whether you are a regular with us and you're here each and every week, or this is your first time in a long time, and that cute girl invited you and you said yes. Uh, whatever got you here, we're so thrilled that you are a part of this. And uh, we just wanna welcome you. And I know that some of you are here and you're like, look, I'm dressed up, it's Easter, I'm doing my thing, but I don't really believe it. Right, I'm just, I'm just going through it, but, but I'm, not really, I'm not really a part of this. And, and I, I want to just say, you're so welcome here, and, and I hope today will speak to you uniquely, uh, because I understand that there's a lot to be skeptical for, just in life, but, but particularly with this story. I mean, it's a remarkable story that we're going to discuss today, and there's plenty to be skeptical about. Now, by nature, I'm a bit of a skeptic. I look at lots of things around me, and I have a skeptical edge to it. I'll give you one example. Uh, that They have these things called stock photography uh, websites where if you need an image for, you know, promotion or something that we're doing at the church, uh, you can go on and find an image that captures, you know, what you're trying to express. And, and so a lot of times we'll go on there, we'll be looking for a specific image for an event or something that we're doing. And sometimes I'll come across an image and I'll think to myself, who on earth was this made for? Like you designed this image in advance thinking that someone will not only need this, but will buy it and that there's enough people to warrant this photo. And sometimes I just get a little bit skeptical about the whole thing. I think there's gotta be something else going on. Let me give you a couple examples of what I'm talking about. Here's a stock photography image on one of these websites. You know, just a woman in the forest throwing spaghetti up into the air. <laughs> what is happening here? I have never thrown spaghetti into the air in my life. Where, why would I need this? I don't understand who is buying this and going, oh man, this captures our event. This is what we want to describe. You know that feeling of just being free in the forest and just throwing spaghetti everywhere. And no, I don't, I don't get it. Or here's one that will really creep you out. Check this one out. What? Whoever photoshopped this should be punished. I'm like, this is not okay for me. What is happening here? This thing will haunt you in your dreams tonight. Like, what is going on? You think someone needs this? And what event are you promoting? What are you going, oh, that is it. You know, that creepy feeling of holding a little miniature version of yourself. That's what we want to capture. Or one more that I think is a bit strange. You know that feeling? You're laying in bed at night. You're not, your eyes are open. You're just looking out. You're laying on big old cake as a pillow. You're just thinking about life, you know? Like, doesn't that happen to all of us? Again, I'm going, who are buying these photos? I do not understand. This seems a bit strange. I'm a bit skeptical. Well, today we're going to talk about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And for some of you, this is a story you are skeptical about, and we're going to address that today. Now, if you've got your Bibles, we're going to be in John chapter 20. So I encourage you to get those out. If you've got a physical analog Bible with you, you can get that out and, and go to the New Testament, fourth book in, you'll get to the book of John. Uh, and if you've got a Bible app on a phone, it is okay to use your phone in church as long as you're using it for the Bible, okay? And so you can get your phone out, you can follow along with us. And if not, I will read this text for us, uh, but we'd love for you to read along if you have your own version now, let me recap what has happened in the story so far before we get to John chapter 20. For about three years, Jesus is walking around and he's doing his, his public ministry. And he's recruited 12 disciples that he is training how to do what he is doing and to be eyewitnesses to all of it. 
And throughout this three years, he's teaching incredible things. He's, you know, uh, healing people. There's all these miracles. There's remarkable things that he's doing. And these 12 disciples are convinced that he will be king and he will overthrow Rome. And they're so excited to be a part of it. Until one day, the opposite happens. He doesn't overthrow Rome. Rome overthrows him. He's captured. He's humiliated. He's tortured. And then they crucify him on a cross. And the disciples are looking at this going, this isn't the story that we thought was, was going to play out. And then when he's fully dead, after they watch him die, they put him in a tomb and they, they leave him to rot inside this tomb. Now, there had been some weird things that he had said and, and that was kind of going around about him that on the third day, he might rise again. And so there's this guy named Pilate and Pilate gives instructions to make sure nothing weird happens to this body because, you know, Jesus was a, a bit of an issue when he was alive. If something were to happen to his body, it would be even worse. So one of the funniest verses in the Bible is Matthew 27, verse 65. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go, make the tomb as secure as you know how. Good luck with that. Like, can you imagine that's your job? You got one job to do, make sure that body doesn't go anywhere. The problem is that body is the resurrected Jesus who's not gonna stay in that tomb. And so these guys do the best they can, but they cannot contain the body of Jesus. The tomb is empty. And then they begin to have these stories of people who have seen Jesus, like seen him alive after all of this. And these stories begin to travel around. And that's where we pick up on the story in John chapter 20, verse 25. Now, you have to understand, we've been in this series talking about vantage point. We've been looking at all different perspectives and you can go back and you can watch any of those if you wanna see other perspectives. Today's gonna stand alone. We're look at the life of Thomas and how his story, his perspective to this resurrection and, and particularly how he views it through skepticism. And maybe you'll find yourself in this story today. So here's John chapter 20, verse 24. Now, Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. Bummer. I mean, Thomas is out getting Starbucks for everybody, and here's that something incredible happened. So other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. Can you imagine Thomas coming back? All right, guys, we got the mocha, frappa, whatever. And they're like, Thomas, you won't believe it. He's like, what? Jesus was here. Like here? Like you, like you saw him? Yeah. But isn't he dead? No, no, no. He's not dead. He's alive. Thomas is like, wait, you all saw Jesus, but I, I missed it? I, I wasn't here for it? Then notice his response. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and I put my finger where the nails were, and I put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Now, normally you hear this story preached against Thomas. I grew up in the church and I've heard numerous references and numerous sermons about don't be a doubting Thomas. And in this story, we talk about Judas is the betrayer, Thomas is the skeptic, and these are the guys you don't wanna be. And yet today I'd like to offer a different perspective on the life of Thomas. Because Thomas shows us that even people who had a front row seat to the life and ministry of Jesus, still had a reason to doubt. So if you're here today and you're like, I'm not sure about this story. I'm not sure what I think about it. You're in good company. Even Jesus' own disciples felt like that. 
Now, Thomas hasn't had any huge falling out with Jesus. I mean, Judas had betrayed him. Peter had denied him three times. Thomas just wasn't there when Jesus showed up. And so Thomas is having a hard time wrapping his mind around this news that Jesus is no longer in the tomb, he's no longer dead, that he is now alive, and he's walking around hanging out with people. And I understand why. Because nothing like this had ever happened before. And nothing like this has happened since. And so we can understand why Thomas is struggling with this. It reminds me of a scene from one of my favorite movies, the movie Princess Bride. You got any Princess Bride fans in the house today? These are my people. There's a scene in Princess Bride where they're going into the fire swamp. You remember this scene? It's Wesley and Buttercup, and they're about to go into this dreaded fire swamp. And, and Buttercup says, we'll never survive. And Wesley, ever the hero, responds, nonsense. You're only saying that because no one ever has. I love the line, right? Like, you're only saying we're gonna die because everyone else who's gone in here has died. That's the only reason you're saying that, but we are exempt to that. I think Buttercup has a point, right? Like, hey, if everyone else who went in here died, pretty good chance that we might die too. And yet, if someone has this, this confidence and oh, no, not, not that story, this is gonna be totally different, you might imagine how you'd react to that. Or, or consider this, imagine that you're at coffee with a friend and you're sitting down and, and you and your friend are discussing a mutual friend that you both have. And, and the person you're at coffee with tells you, oh, I just ran into our friend and, and you'd never believe what happened. Oh, tell me. Uh, yeah, they just traveled through time. Really? Yeah. They just told me all about it. They traveled through time and, and your friend tells you all about it and says, I talked to them. I saw them myself and they explained it to me and it's amazing. And then they look at your face and they realize you're not quite buying it. And then your friend says to you, well, don't you believe me? Well, I mean, yeah, but it's like, you can't actually travel through time. That's not really a thing. So I don't know. I mean, like, I'd like to talk to our friend for myself, like, before I just agree with this story. Now, imagine if the, the person you're having coffee with gets incredibly insulted by that. Like, I can't believe that you wouldn't trust what I'm telling you. How dare you not believe me that our friend traveled through time? Now, again, in this scenario, you'd go, that's ludicrous. Why would they get mad at you that you have every right to want to talk to this person for yourself? Why is it any different with Thomas? Thomas is going, okay, you're, you're telling me that this guy that I watched die isn't dead anymore? That somehow he's, he's now walking around? And, and, and again, I mean, we watched all of what the Romans did to him, and you're telling me that he's no longer dead. You can begin to imagine why Thomas is having a hard time with this story. So let's keep reading in verse 26. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. I love this. Thomas is like, I'm not going anywhere. If you guys are here, I'm here. I am not missing this a second time. Though the doors were locked, notice this detail, Jesus came and stood among them. The resurrected Jesus is kind of creepy. I mean, it's like, whoa, Jesus, use a door. You're freaking us out, dude. And he said to them, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in to my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. And then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet 
have believed. See, I want you to notice here that, that Jesus doesn't reprimand Thomas. He's going to go, all right, Thomas, come on over. Get your lashing, man. I got some words for you. No. Let's say, hey, Thomas, come here. Jesus meets him right where he is, and he gives him what he'd asked for. Here you go, Thomas. Here's your scars. You, you want to see what, what they did to me? And if this was a movie scene, this thing would be slowed down to like half speed. There'd be dramatic music playing underneath and we'd all be crying, okay? Like that's the kind of scene we're happening here where you're like, whoa, Thomas is experiencing the resurrected Jesus. And Thomas is trying to wrap his mind around what he sees. These are fatal wounds that he's looking at. Like people don't survive these kind of wounds. People don't hop off of a, of a cross after being crucified. And so Thomas is trying to wrap his mind around, how do you have these scars and yet you're alive? And notice that Jesus never once refers to him as doubting Thomas. See, that's a name we gave Thomas as we look back on this story. But I would suggest it's more accurate possibly to call him Honest Tom because Thomas shows us an incredible way to meet Jesus. It's a reminder for us that sometimes we need to have the courage to be honest in our pursuit of truth, to say, this is where I am. And for those of us in the church, we need to be a safe place for others to process their honesty around us. This is all the example we see through Thomas. Now, we often assume that Thomas needed more evidence, and that's why you know, he couldn't believe, and, and that's why we're so harsh on him. What more would you need, Thomas? I mean, it's, you know, all these people are telling you, why couldn't you get it? But what if it wasn't about evidence? What if instead Thomas just wants an experience? Thomas is going, look, I've followed this guy for three years. I just want to experience him alive for myself. One of the things we learned through the life of Thomas is that the evidence of the resurrection should lead to a transformational experience with Jesus. A lot of times we get stuck on the evidence, right? Either it's not enough evidence or we go, look at all the evidence. The evidence is so good. That's why we have our hope. No, we have our hope in the transformational experience that we have with the resurrected Jesus. See, Thomas knows all the evidence in the world doesn't matter if Jesus isn't actually around anymore. If he cannot be experienced as alive, then none of this makes any different. See, doubt is often a doorway to experience Jesus more. And yet, sadly, so often in the church, we've told people it's not okay to doubt. It's not okay to ask questions. It's not okay to, to search deeper. And yet Thomas pushes against all of that. Thomas offers a, a really basic, honest approach. Here's where I am, and this is what I need to move forward. Here's where I am. This is how, how, how I have to go forward. It's an incredibly simple approach, and, and yet it's something that when it comes to our pursuit of truth, we often don't get this right. Now think about it in simple terms. If you're driving in a car and you're trying to get to a destination, you need to know where you are and how to get to where you're going. And that's why we know we use GPS apps on our phones if we don't know where we're going. Now, my family and uh, we moved to Oregon this past year. And so the better part of this year, I have gotten to know Google Maps really well. I spent a lot of time with Google Maps. I, I, I know, you know my way around because of what Google Maps tells me to do. And I have a lot of trust built in with me and, and Google Maps. About a month ago, I was riding in the car with one of our exec pastors named Robbie. And Robbie was driving, and we were going to go somewhere that neither one of us knew how to get to. So he types the address into his phone, he sets it up, and, and away we go. But I look over and I notice he's not using 
Google Maps. So I said, hey, Robbie, you're using the wrong app, dude. You need to use Google Maps. It's the best. He's like, eh, I like this one. <laughs> now I'm telling you, Google Maps is the best way to do it. It's the most efficient way. You really need to do it. And, and Robbie kind of just has this weird reaction like, eh, well, I just, I'll, I'll just keep doing mine. And I'm like, what, what's going on here? Why is, he, why is he defending this one? And it was kind of a weird exchange. So I, I keep pushing on him a little bit going, seriously, like why, why are you not using, why are you using this app? And finally he says, well, I just like it. Okay, why, why do you like it? Here's his answer. I like the way it talks to me. What? Yeah, I just, I just like the way it talks to me. Okay, this is a weird, you know, weird reason to choose a GPS app, but whatever. And so I'm like, okay, so I'm imagining there's some soothing British woman's voice that calms him in the face of traffic, you know, like, okay, that, that's cool. What kind of voice is it? I was not prepared, friends, for his answer. <laughs> I kid you not, Robbie tells me, it's a boy band that sings to you. I beg your pardon? It's a boy band that sings to you. I'm about to explain to him, Robbie, this, is, this whole charade is getting weird. There's no way when all of a sudden his phone interrupts me and says, in 1,000 feet, turn left. What was that? Did you phone you? What? He's like, it's the boy band I've been telling you about. That's the boy band. They sing to me. And I'm looking over at him and he's got this little grin on his face. Like he just loves these guys, you know? And I'm like, this is super weird. I'm feeling myself, two dudes riding in a car, listening to a boy band, tell us where to go. Just feels a little strange to me. I don't know. Just feels a little bit strange. But you know what? These are Robbie's guys. I'm not going to say anything. He's driving. So I, I let it go. So we're driving. You know, we, we get used to boy band talking to us and... And at one point, we're getting ready to, to get close to our destination, and we're on the freeway, and the boy band tells us that there's a, a lane blockage up ahead, and so it's going to give us an alternate route that's going to be quicker. So, of course, Robbie has a lot of relationship with these guys, so he, he gets off the freeway and goes on the side road, and we get at this intersection, and we're right next to railroad tracks, and I flippantly make a joke, well, as long as there's no train, we're going to be fine. As we're stopped at the light, a train goes by. And it's one of those really long, slow-moving trains. And so we sit there, the cars just pass us, and finally the train lets up, and like one or two cars gets in, and then it goes down again, because there's another train. And so we sit there for train number two and all this, and a car two gets in, and then a third train. We're sitting at this light again, uh, and finally a fourth train-looking thing goes by. I don't even know what that was. And we're sitting there probably for 20 minutes at this one intersection because this way is quicker. And so I'm, I'm sitting there, and about every five minutes, his phone kicks into, turn right. I'm like, we can't turn right because you led us to a train. Do you not see this? He's like, hey, hey, Jeremy, not, not with the guys. Okay, don't, 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 don't say it to them. I'm like, look, this is ridiculous. Here's the reality. When it comes to driving in our cars, we understand the need to know where we are and where we're going. And we have a certain healthy level of criticism of how we're gonna get there. Because if you have the wrong directions or the wrong instructions, you may not get there or you might be drastically late once you arrive. It's no different when it comes to our pursuit of truth. We need to know where am I and how do I move forward? And this is the incredible example we see with Thomas. 
Now, like Thomas, maybe you have looked at this whole Christianity thing and you feel like you're on the outside looking in. Like something happened with everyone else that hasn't happened to you. And they're going, yeah, I'm just not sure about it. So maybe you say things to yourself like, well, I'm not really religious. So I don't know if this is a story for me. Or this story isn't for people like me. It's for other kinds of people. Or I'm just not in a good place right now in my life for this story. Or I don't think God would be too pleased with me with what I've got going on in my life right now. Or maybe you just wonder, God, if you're real, why does everyone else seem to experience you and, and I don't seem to have the same kind of experience? All these questions are, are Thomas questions, questions that we see him wrestling with going, what's going on here? I think that Thomas takes us to a depth of honesty that you don't necessarily get with the other disciples. The way Thomas is dealing with it is actually appreciating more details to the story than some of the other perspectives that we might find. See, I think Thomas knows that the resurrection is not just a story of victory. It's also a story of defeat. See, we're so quick to go, let's celebrate Easter. He is risen. It's great. Let's celebrate that. But before you get to that, you have everything that comes before it. And some of those details are horrific. So maybe Thomas is wondering, where is God when it all goes wrong? Where is God? Where is Jesus when, when your hopes come crashing down around you? And maybe that's the experience Thomas is looking for. As the author Jonathan Merritt said, maybe Thomas, like us, doesn't need just to learn of God's victory, but to experience God's presence in defeat. Yeah, yeah, the victory is great, but what about what came before it? Because remember, Thomas had, had seen all that they had done to Jesus. Now, when we think about the, the cross, and I don't know how many details you understand about a Roman crucifixion, but it is horrendous what they would do to a body. It was the most painful way they could, could you know, configure death for someone. And one of the details that we often overlook in our depiction of it is Jesus is usually clothed somehow. But the Romans would crucify people naked to add humiliation to everything else. And so imagine God himself physically naked as he dies upon a cross amongst all the onlookers. That's what Thomas saw. He watched him die. Heard him get out his last breath and then watched as they took his lifeless body into a grave. And it stayed there. And Thomas is going, look, I know how these kinds of stories end. They end with the body in the tomb. There is no other story. And so now he's going, if you're gonna tell me this is a different kind of story, I'm gonna to have to experience that. I'm gonna to have to see that. Because I think Thomas is aware of what maybe the others are, are overlooking. Now at Easter time, there's something that Christians often like to do. And, and I refer to it as the, the Christian secret handshake. Uh, and there's this little thing that we, we do, and you might have said it today, or maybe it's been said to you, but, but at, at Easter, Christians will say to one another, he is risen. And maybe someone said this to you and you're like, Cool, yeah, like, uh, that's great. But it's actually, it's a prompt for a proper response. And if you didn't know, the proper response, when someone says, he is risen, you say, he is risen indeed, right? And, and if you don't say it, they're like, oh, doesn't know the code, you know? And everybody looks at you and 
starts judging you for it, right? So now you know if someone says he is risen, they're not just celebrating it, they're prompting you to make sure you know the right reply. And so we can go around, he is risen, he is risen indeed, he is risen, he is risen indeed. It's like, great, 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 great. But here's the problem with that. When you say he is risen indeed, it, it sounds like, of course he is. What else would he be? Well, he would be dead because that's what happens to a body that has been crucified and the life has been removed out of it, right? But we have this, this way of talking about the resurrection kind of flippantly where we go, well, of course, it's like the inevitable trajectory of Jesus's life. As if he's in the grave, uh, he he's, you know, realizes he has an alarm go off on his phone. He's like, oh, is this Sunday? Oh, about that time to, to get the resurrection going, you know? And all of a sudden he walks out of the grave and everyone's like, yeah, it's about time we were waiting for you. That's not how the story goes. In fact, if you look at the text, they, they don't describe that Jesus resurrected himself. He didn't just wake up one day and decide, I'm done being dead. That's not how that story goes because Jesus was defeated. He was really dead. He was in a grave and that would have been the end of the story, except as the scriptures tell us, God the Father through the power of the spirit raises the son back to life. It's an incredible picture of the Trinity, of all parts of, of God working together in the resurrection. Let me show you the way the Apostle Paul explains this to us. In Romans chapter 8, he says it like this. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. See, there's someone else who raised Jesus from the dead. He didn't do it himself. Or as Paul says in Galatians chapter one, Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. Paul's like, hey, you gotta make sure you understand. Jesus wasn't the one doing the raising. Jesus was dead. God the Father raised him. And you might be saying, Jeremy, why does that matter? He was raised to new life. How, how, how does it matter what, you know, what way it played out? It actually matters immensely. And it's incredibly good news for you and I. Let me show you the way Paul concludes it in 1 Corinthians 6, 14. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead and he will raise us also. Can I get an amen? amen. This is the news of Easter that the same power that met the dead, lifeless body of Jesus in that tomb, that raised that body back to life, that same power is available to you right now. That same power that not only will resurrect you when you die, but will resurrect you in the midst of your defeat right now, that is available to you. And you might go, what do I have to do to get a power like that? Do I have to have perfect church attendance? Do I need to stop sinning? Do I need to, you know, have perfect theology and doctrine as if that were a thing? No, you need to have a transformational experience with Jesus, with the resurrected living Jesus. You need to experience him the way Thomas did. That's what you need to tap into that power. As a theologian, Greg Boyd says it, the all important center of the Christian faith is not anything we believe. That's why we don't fault Thomas. It's not about having proper belief. It's the person of Jesus Christ with whom we are invited to have a life-giving relationship. See, Jesus is saying, hey, I'm not, I'm not worried about you having everything perfectly figured out. I want you to experience me. 
And this is the example we see through the life of Thomas, someone who was ready to take the evidence and move to a transformational experience with Jesus that would forever define his way forward. Now, if this were the only encounter with Thomas that we had, we might rightfully refer to him as doubting Thomas. But the reality is that even in John's gospel, there's other examples of Thomas's life. One example in particular in chapter 11 talks about a moment where Jesus is about to raise his friend Lazarus from the dead back to life. And, and Thomas is a part of it, but he doesn't quite understand what's going on. I want to show you the way that John describes it in John 11. So then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and, and for your sake I'm glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Then Thomas, our guy, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Whoa. Thomas is all in. Hey, if this means death for us, sign me up. I'll give my life to this. Thomas isn't the guy that's like, whoa, let, let me get some more facts here. Let me just, I'm a slow adopter. No, when Thomas is in, he is in. And he's fully willing to give his life for this. That's who Thomas is. And in fact, history tells us that, that after the resurrection, Thomas would go throughout the world preaching about his transformational experience with Jesus. He would eventually be martyred in India, far away from his home, telling people about the Jesus who had forever changed him. One of the early church fathers, when looking at the original disciples, had this to say about Thomas. He said, Thomas, being once weaker in faith than the other apostles, toiled through the grace of God more bravely, more zealously and tirelessly than them all, so that he went preaching over nearly all the earth, not fearing to proclaim the word of God to savage nations. That is who Thomas is. Can you imagine if Thomas were to come here today and he go, hey guys, I'm, I'm Thomas. And we go, doubting Thomas? What'd you call me? Yeah, we call you doubting Thomas. You call me what? Did you see what I did with my life? You refer to me as, I mean, I think this guy would be like, are you kidding me? I was killed in India for my faith. What do you mean doubting Thomas? See, I think we've got the story wrong. Thomas is not someone to loathe. It's an incredible example. Someone who approaches the truth with, with honesty and Jesus meets him there and it forever changes him as a result. So here's my question for all of us today. What would a transformational experience mean for you? If you were to have the same kind of experience with Jesus, with the resurrected Jesus that Thomas did, what would that mean in your life? See, what are you convinced could never happen? Where are you giving up hope in your life right now? What if the resurrected power of God were to meet you there? What if you realize that God has another story that's bigger than your story and your story is invited into that story? What if Jesus wasn't dead? What if he was actually alive and ready to bring hope and purpose and life to your defeats in your life right now? What if you met him like that? Let's pray together. Well, Jesus, we follow you not because we have just a bunch of evidence about you, but because we believe that you are alive. We have experienced it. 
for ourselves. And God, my prayer for every single one of us at all of our campuses, wherever we are, that we would have the same type of experience, transformational experience with you that Thomas had. That you would meet us where we are in our honest attempt to find you. And you would show us the scars. You would show us the evidence that we're looking for. But that in that experience with you, we would realize that you are indeed alive. And in that, that transformation that we would move forward with confidence and boldness that the defeats of our life do not have to be the final story. That there is a greater power than just what we can control. There is a resurrection power alive in us if we choose it. God, may this Easter be a defining moment for us as we wonder what if we met you like that. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.